Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 352. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent Jetlagged. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, you and half the office. Yeah, word. Uh, it's this, okay. <laughs> this is our post-Comic-Con episode, but it's also our second Comic-Con episode. Gosh, yeah, last episode was our live panel. That was a lot of fun. And this one uh, is going to be mostly four interviews that Jamie and I conducted during the show with some awesome people. We've got Jim McCann, writer of Marvel Superhero Adventures, on the show. We have Chris Anka that, Jamie, you talked to. He was very cool, very fun conversation, yeah. And he is the artist on Runaways. I talked to Mariko Tamaki, who is the writer for X-23, and uh, Robbie Thompson, who is writer of Spider-Man Deadpool. Spider-Man versus Deadpool? Spider-Man and Deadpool? I think it's Spider-Man Deadpool. It's like a slash. It's been all three. Uh, It was ampersand, and then they were like punchy, punchy at each other, and then it became verses, and now it's just sort of like slash. Like the singer. Yes. Oh, man. Good (laughs) stuff. guitar player. Guitar player. Uh, Yeah. Axel's Uh, the singer. Does he not sing? He had had Slash's snake pit. Whatever. It's fine. Now, it is time to get into the interview quartet. Four of them coming up for you. Enjoy. Mariko Tamaki! Yeah, I'm so excited. I love your work. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So I was nervous about X23 because I was very, like, I I love what Tom and and the teams did on All New Wolverine, so much so that he snuck me in as the Pelican, as Panago's Pelican. So when I read the first issue, I came in like, okay, okay, this is different. But I loved it. Oh, I'm so loved glad. It. I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, I was a fan of those comics too, right? Like I came right off of those comics into this series and I really wanted it to feel like that if you were a fan of those comics that you would want this comic too, that you would read this comic too. So I definitely had that in mind. I saw Twitter. I saw the fans freaking out. And I was like, I'm not going to get into it with you guys, but I know, I know what's going on in your heads and I, I hear you. Yeah. And I will say that you have one of the most viscerally crazy violent moments in that first issue with <laughs> uh, when Laura cuts the dude's the, like Achilles. the tendon, the Achilles tendon. It's just so upset. It, it's worked. It worked really well. It does, and I mean, a lot of that stuff is one who's a genius. I think what I said was like, we need to make sure he's not going anywhere. So let's like have her do something to him. And I think I maybe laid out like one or two options, and then also the. Uh, the sound effects in the blood coming out of his Achilles is pure one. That is uh. not me. Like, there's no panel description that says, please make sure the blood spilling out of the Achilles is in the shape <laughs> of the sound effect. That's, that's him. Must be fun to work with someone who's bringing that kind of thinking to the table. Like, Oh, it's inspiring. It really feels like I know he loves this character. He is very much somebody who gets into the story and is trying to figure out the story and... It's very much a conversation between him and I, especially like the first issue, you're sort of like, you try to be as clear as possible. And then the following issues have been very much like me saying like, well, this is what I want it to be. And however you choose to visually portray that is like fine by me. Yeah. yeah. Juan, Juan's incredible. Oh, um, yes, incredible. One of the things that I, I found amazing is how you depict characters dealing with trauma, whether yeah. it's during those moments you know in in hulk we saw flashbacks and thinking about the things that she went through and then coming out after that is that difficult in a headspace to go through some of those things i mean i have uh nine inch nails downward spiral that's my album i love you because my first concert at 13 years old was nine inch nails i mean that is the mood music of marvel for me like it is, you know, inspiring and guttural and visceral and all of these things. It's not just depressing. It's about frustration and all of these things. And I think, to me, it's the perfect music for writing superhero comics. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what other music do you listen to when you're writing, when you're getting creative? I use a lot of soundtracks. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Trent Reznor fan. And actually, uh, the soundtrack he did for uh, Social Network mm-hmm is really, really great for writing because it's very moody and ethereal, but like not like Enya ethereal, but like a good moody ethereal. So I use that. A lot of soundtracks. Man on Wire is a really great soundtrack. And then sometimes I just go to the B-52s when I just want to like shake it off a little bit. Man. Yeah. A good Fred Schneider just sort of like 
dance moment. You yeah. know, he gets in there and he just gets in your head. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really think to me there should be cinematic. And I think that that's the thing that I'm trying to bring to whatever's happening on the page is like a cinematic feeling. And so listening to something like that to me really helps sort of fill it all out. Yeah. What is your Marvel origin story? How did you first like get into characters or comics or whatever it was that first got you into Marvel? You know what? I can't really remember what it was. I feel like it's always been like in the background. It's always been sort of comics that I read. I think it was Hawkeye. That was like my re-entry point that I was like, oh my God, this is... The Fraction AHA stuff? Yeah, the Fraction AHA stuff for me. Also, I think what it was, was I was talking to someone about superhero comics and he was like, but you haven't read Hawkeye, so you should read that. And then I'm I'm a quick deep dive. Also, you know, working for them and you get access to the database, they're just like, do you want to read all of it? And you're like, yeah, I got nothing else to do. I write for a living so I can wake up and read comics until I go to bed. So, yeah. So in your just deep dive researching, reading, aside from Hawkeye, what else have you been digging uh, into? Uh, Warren Ellis. Mm. I love that yeah. stuff. I love there's like the ups- upside down issue where the whole world is like upside down. And it's so nauseating to read because it's upside down the whole time. I'm a big Runaways fan. I've mm-hmm. always been a Runaways fan. And I'm a huge, I'm really into what Rainbow Roll has been doing with that uh, series. Yeah. That's been really great. Yeah. On the projects that you are working on, you mentioned a little bit when, you know, like you didn't have this note for Juan about this particular way of gruesomeness yeah. uh, being depicted. But does it change when you work with different creators? Oh, How yeah. do you it's fluctuate? A, it's a relationship. Like you really figure out some people like a lot of direction and some people don't. I do think in terms of the way that scripts get edited, you have to be fairly clear so that, you know, your editor knows you're not completely going off the rails. <laughs> like the first issue is the sort of like, you try to figure out what the best thing that you can do together is, and then you go with that. Like, it was the same thing working with Nico Leon and She-Hulk that I realized he was going to put all of this stuff into the background, all of this crazy little details. N- nuts. He's nuts. I, I mean, there was an issue of Ms. Marvel, I think it was, recently, where Nico just puts a sword next to somebody who's sitting at a table in a restaurant, and I'm like, well, what does that guy have? Yeah, sword? why does that guy have a sword? And he has a story for all of those things, like... In the apartment building that's in the first arc, there's, like, this guy who has, like, a house full of, like, mannequins. And I was like, who's that guy? And Nico was like, oh, my God, that guy. You don't want to know about that guy. (laughs) I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to know about that guy. That's your business. Um, Comics are a visual medium. You know, I'm aware that that is the thing that you can do in comics that you can't do in prose is you can fill out the space behind the story and have a whole other story that is... That is like a sounding board for the front story and is context and all of those things. I love that. Yeah. All right. What's up ahead for X-23? Well, you know, she's going to go into battle. She's got this situation going on with the cuckoos. She's not exactly sure what the cuckoos are up to. Oh, my God. Yeah, those last couple pages. I was like, wait, what? What is happening? Yeah. Yeah, those are great. As soon as I saw the cuckoos, I was like, those are amazing characters. Like, this idea of five people who have this kind of hive mind, but also not necessarily, like that kind of split between those two things, I thought, that is interesting. Obviously, Grant Morrison's a genius, so. Yeah. Uh, we have very similar tastes, like the Nine Inch Nails <laughs> stuff, uh, Grant, Warren. I mean, I'm always going to be the teen goth that I was yeah. in the 90s. I've just never really evolved from that. I mean, I'm look, I mean, I'm 40, I think I'm 42 now, I don't remember, but I'm like, I still dress. Like, I'm on my way to go pick up my, you know, my new CD. Oh, I remember going to see Marilyn Manson and the Lunachicks when I was, like, 15. Yeah. See, that's... That's just... That's always going to be me. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Lara's going to be dealing with that stuff. And I also have a, the Claws of a Killer. I think the last one we're just Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been loving this because the, the last issue that came out was three, yeah. I think. And that one, Dawkins, most of his dialogue through the first like half of the book is just cursing. And he's cursing <laughs> in general at people, at the, the Everything. zombie-ish people, like all the things. Yes. And I felt that that was the most spot-on depiction of this character we've seen in a while just because he's so frustrated. It's horrible, yeah. right? What's happening is horrible. And I was talking to the editor. I was like, well, anything he says other than that is going to seem ridiculous. Like when someone's literally eating you to death, if you're like, gosh, damn it, Frick, you know, I was like, normally it would go to Frick or, you know, yeah. short or whatever. But I feel like you can't do that in this, 
You have the three worst people in the worst situation. The idea that they would all be like, no swearing. It's just not going to happen. But then I said to my editor, like, you didn't know when you told me I could do that, that all of the dialogue would be that. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's okay. So, yes. Thank yeah. you, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Claws has been a lot of fun. And just those four limited series have been really interesting and in seeing different paths that the characters are taking. Yeah. I'm excited to see where that ends up and what part the hunt yeah. takes them to. Well, it's my first time doing something where I'm like privy to information that is like beyond my pay grade, where I have like no stuff. So it's been really fun to be part of something that big and to hear like, this is what goes into this like giant picture of all of these threats coming together. Like, like if you ever played a Marvel editor at risk, I'm sure that they would just destroy you because they have to have so many things going in their brain at once and keep it all together and then be able to tell you only what you need to know. It's stunning. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're unseen, unheard of heroes. The words are escaping me, but they don't yeah. get enough. They're behind uh, the scenes, yeah. but they deserve more credit because they are truly. I mean, I don't think I could not do what I do without my editors. They're yeah. amazing. I could definitely do what I do without my editors. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's perfect. I, I joke. I'm so excited. I'm glad we got to talk. Yes, thank uh, you. I'm loving the work. X23 coming out. Lots more issues forever, forever, I hope. Uh, Marika, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Robbie freaking Thompson. Oh, I know we were swearing today. <laughs> I said freaking. Is that I, a swear? Uh, or you're I, you're I, from I, Michigan, right? Yeah, in Michigan that counts as a swear. We're very, very official there. We're almost Canadian. That's it's really very, very, sweet. We're very polite. We're very sorry about everything. <laughs> we have nothing against you. <laughs> what was your first Comic-Con? Do you remember? This is, okay, so this is a true story, and I really wanted to make sure I, I made it this year. I almost didn't because of like work and life stuff. This is my 20th Comic-Con. Congratulations. 20 in a row. So now I'm done. I get to retire. Yeah. They give you a gold watch. And uh, so, yeah, this is my, tw I, I first came in 1998. Yeah. Professionally? Or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was working in animation. This is how long ago it was. Like, I found out if you could, like, basically say you were in, in the business, quote unquote. I'm using air quotes because it's radio. Um, and so I, I got in as, I was like a, I was literally a PA, like. Uh, and and I was grandfathered into the system, uh, and so like I think it was three years ago. After like 17 years of coming to Comic Con, I got to be here as an actual comic book professional. So that was cool. That's it's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this is how many is it for you? This is uh, so I started at Wizard in 2003. I think my first San Diego was 2004. So this would be like 13 Four, or 14. 13 or 14. Wow. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. We're but all grown up. I know. I we know. grew up so fast. And it's so vastly different. Oh my God. Just, it's, it's not even nuts. like a. You can't compare it. It's no, there's no. I, I think it was our compatriot Eric Goldman was like mm. uh, posting old photos. Yeah, and it was crazy because like I was at all those shows and I try to explain it to people. I'm like, it's a third of the size, like two thirds less people. My first year here, my brother and I literally drove down uh, from uh, Los Angeles and we parked here at the center. <laughs> I think it was five dollars. You know, we walked into, there was no Hall H because there was, it didn't exist there. We walked, I can't remember, it was like the 6B, C, D, and F, that was like the big room. Yeah. And I think it was that year, I think, yeah, it was that year, like, we went to this thing and it was called Trailer Park where they would show you trailers because, like, we didn't have the internet then, like, I guess. It was all dial-up. And they showed us clips of behind the scenes of a little movie that they were calling The Matrix. And, like, it was none of the effects. So it was just like Keanu, like limboing and Joel Silver being like trust me it's going to be great and you know we were like what the hell was that and then cut to a year later but yeah it was it's it's impossible to talk about like it, it was literally they've expanded this thing I think three times yeah. since since the late 90s or something yeah, so, yeah. look because like I love you and you're I, my I friend love you too. but I also absolutely love your work too. oh well, that's very kind of you uh, and so we just I love had, your work as well thanks uh, Spider-Man uh, Deadpool yes the Master Matrix storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the last issue that came out recently, thirty-six, wrapped like twelve stories. Yeah, like 12 yeah, yeah. Threads at once. Yeah, yeah. And it was we kind of so went fun. for it. I don't know where to start because there's so many things to love. I love the murder sharks and murder silk. sharks are fun. Like silk that. was fun. Yeah, I was bringing her back. There was no reason to put her in the book. No <laughs> book, but we put her in the book. Yeah, uh, why not? Um, That's power. You know, it's been this book. I think I had Deadpool say it at one point. I don't know if that issue's out, but he's like, there's kind of no reason for this book to exist. You know, it's like, it's literally because the internet said please. And Marvel and, and Nick Lowe and, and Kathleen said yes. And then, you know, Joe and, and Ed launched a really awesome title. And it was like, you know, they really, I think, set the standard for how silly and fun this book could be. And, and we really wanted to, to push that. But I got to give credit to Nick Lowe. Like, he set up an awesome team of, like, really great collaborators, starting with Chris Pacello. The Murder Sharks weren't part of the book, not part of my pitch. 
Chris drew an image. It's like, I think it's the cover of 23, the first issue that we did. And it was just like Deadpool swimming and there's sharks chasing with him like laser beams. And uh, we all went to Disneyland. I think we talked about this once before to kind of break the story. And he just kind of came out with that image. And I was like, oh, they should be in the book. And then I want them to talk because who doesn't love talking murder sharks? And then that led to them sort of evolving. And then they were, got really into Netflix for some reason. <laughs> but, you know, th like everything that I've enjoyed about this book has come from that sort of collaboration, that, that just listening to the story and just looking at the art reacting, like the Master Matrix storyline, it really came out of a conversation with Nick and Kathleen. We were talking about plot for like the next big kind of arc and they were both like, this is all great, but we can do this in like half the issues. And I was looking for like, how do we tie this to bigger Marvel lore? And it was Kathleen had asked like, maybe there's there a way, is there a character that we can kind of hang a lantern on? And I pitched a character that was fun, but like didn't really, it didn't really emotionally resonate. Yeah. And Nick was like, well, you know, Peter's parents were shield agents. And then we were kind of off to the races and it was really, really fun. And I've had awesome collaborators like Matt Horak and now Jim Toe, who uh, came over from, he had done Youngblood. And Matt and Jim are just killing it. We're kind of doing with three on, three off. And so they're both like, you know, drawing at the same time. So like they both have such a really fun style and they both bring something totally different to the book. And there's just so much fun weirdness that comes from both of them. They're both like, you know, weird dudes. Like Matt put in this bit, it ended up leading to Chris Starr and Dazzler being in the book for literally no reason for about three panels. I think if you're of, well, my age anyways, because you're, you're a young buck, um, like you have an affinity for these really kind of trash <laughs> 80s characters. Like Chris Starr is like amazing. And it's so like, I don't know why, but I love that book as a kid. And so, yeah, for four panels, there was a dream sequence, essentially. Not a dream sequence, it's Deadpool's version of events. And we had our dream team of, of that group of characters Look, for no I, reason. I just did a video for with ESPN, and I was able to talk about Kickers Inc. So I can Done. bring so you the get thunder. You get it. You get you it. You better believe it. You get it. You get it. Uh, the Parker stuff yeah. with Master Matrix. I really, really loved. Spoilers if you've not read it, but there's a, this wonderful moment where the story they were at a crossroads yeah. in in the past, and it goes in the direction that is so sweet and warm and wonderful and hopeful yeah and then but you know obviously events yeah, it ends in tears are what they <laughs> are yeah yeah uh but i was really happy to see that because you a lot of those instances in comics for dramatic effect can be taken as like you know heartbreaking yeah you know uh, it's funny i didn't know that part of marvel's lore and because nick just lives and breathes and he might actually be peter parker for all i know but he knows so much of the history and like i went back and i read those issues and you're right. There's so much tragedy in Peter's character. And there's also so much tragedy in Wade's character, too. And so it was like, and so you'll see in this next sort of like, it's kind of like a mini arc um, that we're doing. The thing that we really wanted to set out to do at the beginning was try to figure out, like, why are these two guys friends? Like, it's a weird friendship. Like, one is a homicidal maniac and one is like the greatest hero of all time. And it's been really fun to kind of play with that. And pseudo adopting Master Matrix is kind of like allowing them to kind of examine that in a way. But you'll see very quickly that like these are not people that are, are worthy of being parents. <laughs> but it's been kind of fun to sort of explore that because, you know, obviously like these are characters and Master Matrix, like we talked about de-aging him because he's a robot and he can shift around, but and he is, he has like a childlike nature because he's not that old in some respects, but it, it's, it's pretty clear. I think that both of these guys are just not, they're not prepared for this, but really ultimately it's, it's, it's not a spoiler, but it's going to allow us to kind of really focus more on their, on their friendship. We've been kind of a, not a team book, but Nick really wanted to like flesh out the world. And that's where the murder sharks came in and Silk and Husk and um, Screwball and like, like all these really weird, you know, characters. Poor Branch. I know Branch, Branch took it. Branch took one for the team. I wasn't planning on killing him. And then I wrote it. And I was like, oh, I guess Branch is dead now. And then like <laughs> someone online was just like vengeance for Branch. I'm like, don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. It's a giant. I love that punch. scene. Yeah, yeah that was fun. Like, Get that was, that was pretty fun. But um, we're going to kind of, through the Master Matrix and kind of what he sort of brings to the boys, we're going to kind of really kind of focus on, on the boys in Spider-Man Deadpool. Like when we started out, they were cataclysmically at odds because of, you know, Secret Empire and, and the events of all that and what was going on in Peter's book or Spider-Man's Spider book. We've been kind of outside of Marvel continuity, but we're now we're kind of catching up because we've been, we've been slowly catching up to their time. And so we're really going to kind of focus on them and hopefully have them be on the same page for a couple panels uh, but you know it's the odd couple they have to they have to be at odds yeah um, yeah i love the stories in the future uh, there's a lot of the stuff that scott hepburn scott uh, yeah worked on. yeah he's yeah so good he's yeah. so good but like the characters that you created you know like oh okay I, we're gonna write a future so 
this seems cool. Yeah, you know, again, credit to collaborators. So Scott and I hadn't met in real life, and he did sketches for Old Man Parker and Old Man Wilson. And my original intention with that story was, was kind of silly. Um, and his drawings were so great. They were so, like... It was almost like he had drawn like like two characters from Up, you know that you know the Pixar movie. Like they were very, he had clearly aged them in a way that was personal, if that makes sense. And so I kind of changed the story a little bit, but really changed the the sort of tone of that stuff. And then he and I met IRL. Is that what the kids say? I, I we're IRL? looking at evil producer Brandon, who is younger. Yeah, he gives okay, us thumbs IRL. up. Okay, Thank you, Brandon. Right, cool. IRL, as we kids say. Um, <laughs> And we met at New York Comic Con and we just kind of hung out. We were just chatting and he was actually the guy who was like, hey, are there other heroes in the future? And I was like, yes, there are. And so I said, like, look, I, I'm partial to the Fantastic Four, but like, tell me who you want to draw. And so I thought we were just going to have another conversation. Like two days later, he sent me these unbelievable sketches and it really came from from his mind. Like, I think I had pitched out maybe Valeria, but he was like, can we do like a giant character? Like can, can Thing, you know, but then it was, you know, Thing's uh, son. And yeah, he just came up with these amazing designs. And, and then again, that kind of pushed the story. We always knew that one was going to end in tears because it's, you know, usually the future timelines don't work out for our friends no. and heroes. And so it was kind of fun creating those characters and then watching them all get slaughtered because that's my job. Um, but yeah, really, that's, that's all Scott. They're cheering because yeah. you just slaughtered all the characters. Who doesn't up? love murder? You're welcome, America. Um, but yeah, no, that's really all Scott. I asked if they'd put it in the back matter for the next trade because some of the designs we couldn't use uh, just because we just didn't have the time. But some of the characters he came up with, like, they were just amazing and, like, just so cool. Uh, there's one project or some projects we can't talk about yet. Yes. Uh, so hopefully in the but future. But I'm super excited about that. I know. Though. I, know I you cannot are. wait to talk about it, but only with you. Perfect. Great. No one else. We'll just have a conversation, the two of us. Right. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you know what? We're going to stop the, the recording. We're going to go buy you a Thanos Copter shirt. Yes. And uh, talk about the books that we can't share with you guys. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Love you. Hey guys, before we roll on into the next interview, I just wanted to give a little uh, little thank you to our advertiser this week, the Marvel MasterCard. Whether you've got a night out, you want to pick up a comic book, or you just, you know, you want to stream your favorite show, all of these wonderful things could be earning you cashback rewards. Just use Marvel MasterCard. That's at marvelmastercard.com slash twim, T-W-I-M. And you want to hear some of the benefits? Heck yeah, Jamie. Well, you'll earn 3% cashback rewards on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard. And 1% cashback rewards on all other purchases. Uh, look, there ain't no limit on cashback rewards you can earn, all of them, with no annual fee. Forever cashback rewards. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. Okay, that's great. Uh, you can also choose your superhero from one of six amazing card designs. We've got Captain America Shield, we've got Black Panther, and Spider-Man, among others. Now, just visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. Hey, Ryan, are you ready to hear our next interview? I sure am, Jamie. Let's do it. Comic artist Chris Anka. How are hello, you doing, hello. Chris? I, I'm good. How was your Comic-Con so far? Uh, it's been nice. I mean, I've only been here since Wednesday. Mm, yeah. Um, so I've just been walking around doing all my shopping. Great. Uh, what kind of stuff are you finding that uh, you can't resist? There was a big bar to print by Adam Hughes. Very that was nice. like my very first stop yeah. yesterday. Uh, and then just walking around going to Storting Books. Cool. Uh, Gallery Nucleus. Just kind of peep in, see what everyone, all, everyone has this year. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Nitty Gritty. Let's talk about your comic book art. Okay. You do a lot of great cover art. What kind of covers have you worked on lately that have just been ringing your bell? I mean, all the Runaways covers have been kind of up my alley a bit more. Um, there's definitely a lot more freedom the, to let us kind of be a little less generic and a bit more what I want to do. So, you know, big fashion panels or... Yeah. Kind of, I can get a little bit more abstract with the, with the covers and more graphic with them, which has been really fun with, uh, especially like the Nico cover for number 12 or the Carolina cover for 13. So overall, I mean, the whole series has been way more up my alley and kind of way more giving me freedom. Yeah. To kind of be what I want it to be, and it's been really good. So you do a lot. A big focus on your work is fashion, which I was talking to Ryan Panagos before about like how that being one of the things that some people may take for granted, but you're really dressing characters and you're paying attention to fashion and trends. 
what exactly do you look to to inspire you to come up with these fashions or do you come up with a lot of it yourself? A mix, a mix and match. I mean, something about Runaways that I think I lucked in on is the fact that I grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't hard for me to figure out who these kids are right. and to find a parallel between them in the fashion I see around me all the time. So when I, when I took over the book, it was just like I knew exactly who everyone would be in their 2018 equivalent to what they were in 2007. Right, um, yeah. Because it's been you know, a long time and a lot of the fashion has changed. Uh, sort of the Lolita goth of Nico doesn't quite exist anymore in the, in the realm of L.A. So finding what the new version of that is was, was kind of you know, one of the first assignments about it. And, and it wasn't hard because like, yeah. I see it around me all the time. Yeah, or yeah. Or like the festival girl that Carolina would be. And I'm kind of <laughs> leaning her a bit more athleisure where you know, she was always very concerned with her diet and her health and being a vegetarian. And around me, those people are also very concerned about their health, physical health. So they go to the gym a lot. Right. So they kind of became like, I added this whole gym couture to her. And it just really fit. Of this, it's just a girl who was just very attuned to her health. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to who they are. Yeah. And the more you know who the character is, the more specific you can get with their outfits. Because not everyone wears the same kind of T-shirt, or they wear it the same kind of way. Because there's like you know the whole idea that you know, oh I just throw on whatever mentality, yeah, but like yeah. you bought those clothes, so you don't just throw on whatever. Like there there right. is some thought that maybe it was a little, but there is some thought in there in some way, or maybe someone bought it for you, and that still says something. Right. So it's a big part of design. Um, like with runaways, when I'm when I'm doing the style guides and I'm dressing them, that takes me a solid day. Right. It's a solid yeah. day to just do their outfits for one issue. Yeah, because you're really getting inside of their heads. Because yeah. like you were just saying, these characters are figuring out who they want to be when they dress themselves. Especially as that issue of the 18 to 20, where yeah. like this is a wild time where everyone's redefining who they are. Yes. You're leaving high school, going into college age, and you're almost becoming an adult. And things are changing in you and how you perceive yourself and how you perceive the world. So everyone goes through these wild, drastic makeovers. And so kind of like capturing that moment of, showing that growth and it's also just kind of fun that I can change up their styles you know Steve Rogers always has the exact same haircut right. all the time but you know if Chase has long hair he doesn't just wear it the same way each time right and and it also helps kind of show time has passed yes sort of the change instead of you know everyone just looks the same all the time and I don't know if this took a, a week mm-hmm. or if this took a month do you ever have a character just cut all their hair off like girls do yeah, we had Victor. Yeah, I had Victor. Cut, I, I, that was that was one of the things I, I wanted. Uh, I just wanted to always cut their hairs off. Rainbow really wanted Chase's long hair back. Right. So the the, the trade off was that Chase gets long hair again, and I get to cut Victor's hair off. That is so funny. So let's also talk about covers. Okay. You've done a lot of covers. I always think cover art is really beautiful because it really has to be eye catching when it's on the shelf or online in an online catalog kind of deal. What do you think about when you draw a cover? I mean, very much that. Just, it, it needs to. Everyone wants to see the character, and I try to just boil it down as simple as possible because I think a cluttered cover can kind of get lost. Yeah. So I like to boil it down to the very simple elements that you need to tell what this cover needs to say. Yeah. Like if I can do with less background, I will do that because I, I find like a bright bold color, or I like to make things very simplified and graphic. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because you're in a wall of covers and everything kind of just blends into one. Unless you're yeah. looking for the you know the title specifically, it's still even hard. So you want to see the you know the big the big spider on his chest and the red and the webbing. And you're like, okay, I know exactly what that is, and you right. just jump to that. Yeah, I noticed your interiors too. It's like cartoony but classy. They're like extra super nice cartoony, and I love that because I grew up on cartoons. I love cartoons, but in comics, there's I think the uh, static medium Mm -hmm. the two-dimensional medium lets you go a little deeper with it and make it a little bit richer like art like two-dimensional art you know something that i think can get lost is we get really concerned with pouring in details or pouring that until or like things have to operate a certain way and then you're like no i I control everything about this image Mm -hmm. i can break every rule and and it doesn't need to operate in a three-dimensional space it doesn't need to operate over time i can literally do whatever i want with what is happening on this real estate and so you know it it took me a kind of a while to embrace but just like the art of the sound bubble Mm -hmm. and the sound effect of like that's something inherently comic booky right and you can wait you know you want you can draw a cover and then you, you draw this 
detailed background and you forget that a giant boom is going to go over it, mm -hmm. or you can embrace the boom and draw the boom yourself, and that's part of the image right. rather than an afterthought. Uh, so cool. it's really fun because all of these elements kind of come into play, and they're all tools for you to use whether or not you want to or not. Okay, so covers we've talked about, fashion we've covered about. You've also redesigned a lot of characters, I ha I really iconic characters. What kind of feeling do you have when you get an iconic character or a character we've known for a very long time and it's your job to redesign them and update them? Dread. Dread. Big, big, old, big old dread. Um, no pressure. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, do you want to do Wolverine? I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? Um, yeah, I mean, dread is also really exciting, especially when they know what they want. When there's a context for the, for the, the change or there's a reason for the new look because the more specific you can get, you know, as with the fashion, it kind of helps drive what this is going to be. And you know, with Wolverine, when he was losing his powers, the idea going into it was like, okay, I need to find a way. His costume is going to compensate for that lack of healing, so he needs to have something a bit more armored. And how do you make that look good? And then that gives me opportunities because Wolverine's never had an armored look. He's always been very kind of bare. So now that I can play with armor, I can add new elements to that and new kind of design changes, but still make it feel like Wolverine or you know, Psylocke doing another X-Force design, I can embrace sort of the ninja stealth look and kind of get away from what was there. But also what I like to do is kind of look at all of the looks they've had and kind of incorporate visual through lines so it always still feels like the character and I can kind of bring back old elements that someone's maybe forgotten. You know, putting orange back in Wolverine's costume after yeah. he's been yellow and blue for so long, like that was kind of fun to kind of throw back. Because especially with comics, it's always changing. Yeah. So it's, you know, I did a Storm look, but like I know that's never going to stick around forever, so I can kind of have fun with it for this time, and then it's going to move on. And so right. the fact that, it, you know, everything's kind of mortal gives it a sort of beauty because this doesn't need to stand the test of time in a museum forever. It's like this is a timepiece for yeah. right now, and we can always, everything organically changes. Yeah, and I guess it's also reflective of a character who's evolving. Maybe yeah. they'll try something, and if it doesn't work, they can always change it. Or yeah, you know, you know, Punk Storm worked in the 80s. Right. And then that didn't work in the 90s, so we moved, and we can kind of maybe bring some of that back or keep moving. And, you know, fashion's always changing. The characters who they are are always changing, and you kind of embrace it at the time and see sort of what happens. Yeah, because I know that you also updated Spider-Woman. I did. Talk about that a little bit, because Spider-Woman is... She's been around for a really long time. What was going through? I mean, that, yeah. one was, that one was very tricky because she's only had one costume ever. So changing up what that is, I didn't have a lot to work off of. Um, but they had a very specific context in mind where they wanted to kind of make her more of a street-level hero as, and sort of this bodyguard. So we kind of wanted to bring that really high, like high-concept tights look down into kind of a, a grungy streeter version. But then that also had a, a set of problems in the fact that, like, what kind of street version? Right. So, you know, in the design process, I went through, like, a dozen different kinds of jackets. And just to kind of figure out, like, do you want a leather jacket? Do you want an overcoat? Do you want a peacoat? Do you want, like, what kind of street? Where yeah. is the street? Is this, what kind of material? Like, there's all these elements that come in and come into it. But there's also something kind of fun of, this is the Marvel Universe. And there's people whose clothes light on fire or that people's whose clothes go invisible. Yeah. So it can look like a leather jacket but not be leather because, like, who knows what the materials are in this universe. Right. So it could be, you know, there's a perfectly breathable, flexible piece of leather in the world that stretches to everything. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, or maybe vegan um, leather just doesn't burn. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> you know, it just the, the Fantastic Four have made every kind of material you can need. So... Uh, it gives me kind of a lot of flexibility. So it was a lot with Spider-Man. It was a lot of back and forth to try to find that, because like you know something I really wanted. She just has these two lenses as sunglasses, and to put them on, and then if she she taps it, it turns into a full mask. Ooh. But I think that I really like that, but it didn't quite fit the tone of the book. So we kind of kept it more simple. Like, is she still a Shield agent? Is she still going to be doing spy stuff, or is this literally just her being kind of a brawler? So I had to kind of design. It tried designs for different kinds of contexts and see what stuck. So that one was a very, actually, that was a long process. That took a, maybe two months Wow. to kind of settle on that final look. It took a long time because it, it, it involved like six people. 
was trying to find what this new Jessica was going to be. Yeah, because when you're redesigning something on that level, when there's really only been one version, you're kind of redesigning the whole character as a person. Like, yeah. it's not just how she's looking, it's who she is. Yeah. Yeah, and did you work with the writers at all? No, uh, no they kind of keep... Well, they, whenever I do a redesign, they try to keep as less cooks in the kitchen as possible. Okay. Because things can get muddled and, and directions can change. But with, with Spider-Man, it just it, it kind of kept spiraling. So kind of to help rein it in, because there weren't a lot of context clues, um, we needed a, a, kind of a bit more eyes on it. Right. I think even Joe Casada got involved. Just to kind of help find what this new direction was. Yeah. Chris Anka, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I don't think I've ever been able to hear the point of view of someone who had to redesign a character like that. And I just really dig like where you're coming from when you think about fashion and these characters. Because well, you're, you're, yeah, you're shaping so much of what we read and see with our face. You it, know? It, it's fun because you know you can. It's more fun than drawing the same costume over and over again. Yeah. That every issue kind of changes, and I can kind of explore and, and and change over time and try different higher styles and. Every issue is kind of fresh. I'm not drawing the same costume that everyone knows all the time. Each and every day of my life, it always kind of changes up, and each issue is a new problem. Awesome. Chris Anka, thank you so much no, for joining thank you. us. Jim McCann. Ryan Panagos. How are you? I am fabulous. Thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, of the people I know in comics, you are one of my oldest friends, longest in that sense. Like it's the <laughs> wizard crew. Clarifying. Yeah. Uh, it's the wizard crew, obviously. And then you, because we became close when I was at wizard. Yep. I would say, I can actually say the exact same is true as well of people in comics. You are one of my oldest friends. Uh, how did you transition from working in Marvel sort of editorial corporate into the actual comics writing side? Um, Okay, so I'm not condoning this. I was hopped up on cold medicine. Mark Panicha had just started, and we were doing a thing called Marvel Westerns. And I actually had a cold. I should have prefaced it by, with that. Yeah, um, you, were, you were medicating as needed. Yes, yes. I was kind of using as directed. I may have gone a little overboard just because I wanted to kick it, like, fast but I found out that doesn't happen instead you just have really random weird ideas while you're sitting in an office and uh, one of them was I realized that Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy had done a number of movies together in a number of genres but the only one they never did was a western so I walked into his office and I said what if we did a Catherine Hepburn Spencer Tracy flavor and get this and this will tell you my knowledge of sports her name is the Philadelphia Philly. Genius, right? <laughs> Crushing it. It got published. True. So that was published. And I. Um, it was probably actually just before that, there was an editor who was doing an all-ages Spider-Man book. And the writer was on a plane, and the book had to go to press because it was on a Friday. And the art had come in the colors everything and it just did not match the dialogue and people knew that I really wanted to write because I had come from writing soaps before I started at Marvel I had written for One Life to Live and so the editor ran to me and they were like I just need you to punch this line so did a little script doctoring on this one little spidey thing and that's what actually led me into doing the solicitations and then when we did like the Young Gun sketchbooks and different marketing materials, I would be writing the marketing copy, the ad copy. But then the big, big break was Secret Invasion finale planning meeting. And we had decided we really needed to get something that would surprise the fans because, you know, they knew that Spider-Woman had been replaced and... You know, a bunch of different people have been replaced. Spoilers if you've never read Secret Invasion and Jim has just ruined one of my favorite comic book stories. You no, know? well, it's, it is 10 years old, but still, spoiler alert. I, we should have started out with that. Please, please go ahead and in post edit this. The following contains spoilers for Secret Invasion. Um, You're out of control. Anyway, yes, back on track. Back on track. Yeah, the, is, so the Secret, Secret Invasion, Invasion, we really wanted to get. 
I had always loved Mockingbird. I knew exactly where the moment went weird and wrong, where she had come back and she tells Hawkeye, oh, our big fight 78 issues ago that led to our divorce, that was really my fault, even though you were the jerk. And I was like, "Mm, no, that never sat right with me. She was a strong female character that was like trying to take all the blame for a relationship that went wrong. And they had fought Ultron, and then the next issue, they were back at the mansion. And I thought, you know what? She could have been replaced by a scroll then. And so I pitched, I pitched it as that Mike Pashulo will say that he said Mockingbird as a character first. I will say we may have said it at the same time, but I am the one who also said, and they should be the Mr. and Mrs. Smith of the Marvel Universe, at which point Brian Bendis turns and says, that sounds like an amazing book and you should write it. The thing being, that meant that I had to leave Marvel because prior to that, for eight years, I had done not this job that you're doing, but a job that you do at panels, which is I would host the panels. I would run a lot of the booth activities, come up with games, and it was so much fun. And, and also getting Cap's shield on the Colbert Report having Storm Night on Deal or No Deal, like just crazy out there stuff. They, they love that you did all those things. You all know, that applause was ev- for you. It, it is. They're watching me. So, yeah, that meant I had to leave. Um, but I yeah, didn't so leave the family. I, I want to jump on okay. that real quick because yeah. it's a, back in the day when, when we were reading comics as just as fans, you yes. know, there, you would have editors who were writers, oh, uh, yeah. people who worked in the bullpen who were writers. They were getting lots of paychecks for doing multiple things whereas the people who were solely writers were they just didn't have those opportunities yeah, and no. it was taking away probably from time that they should have spent on their day jobs in yeah and cases. the writers and they did not get the prime gigs jim shooter who was editor-in-chief at the time wrote secret wars which was arguably one of the books that really su- i was already reading x-men but it's the book that made me a fan of the avengers because it was a massive crossover with everybody plus it had a rad toy line that yeah. went along with it where people had random holograph shields. Sure, just like they normally do. You know? But that but that yeah, changed. That, that, it, it did. It changed and it was it was for the better because it enabled new voices to come in and new writers. I would say it, it, actually I think that's one of the things that really ushered in the Marvel Knights era mm. because it happened like the 90s, there was a glut of it, I know. And I can't remember if it changed at the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. Tom Brevoort's going to listen to this and then email me and correct me. So, yeah, I mean, people had to start giving up the gigs. And uh, editors edited. Writers wrote. It enabled a lot of new writers to come in. But it also meant... I, I, I honestly could not have done my job... And taken on the, um, and taken on, not only writing two of my favorite characters, but at the same time I was working on an original graphic novel for a different company. Yeah, and that ended up winning an Eisner, and I don't think that I would have had the bandwidth to have even done either book justice, especially given the fact that at the time sales and marketing was a really really scrappy ragtag team, and we did a pretty darn good job I think I mean there were some really memorable like we got a lot of stuff out there we did Civil War I was there from I think my my first was House of M and my last was the end of Dark Reign so it's 2004 ish to Uh, it left in 2009 2010 yeah 910 yeah it's a good run at Marvel it was it was it was sad I still remember one of the more humorous moments for somebody who works in marketing and publicity is getting on the train working for Marvel and getting off the train working for Disney and my phone having blown up going, do you have comments? (laughs) Or Wolverine's claws going to be like nubbed off now? And I'm just like, wow. But people are more, I think a lot more um, educated in the way corporate synergies work and uh it was, a, it was a very interesting time and a time of change. And uh, it, was, it was one of the, my favorite times of my life. I said always, from the time I was 10, I said I would work for Lucasfilm or Marvel. 
And now all I have to do is Mark Panicha um, write a Star Wars comic. So then everything will be done for me. I, I hope you get to do that. Why, thank you. Uh, but you are back now writing at Marvel, yeah. doing some really great stories. Oh, that uh, One of the things that we always get asked to us on Twitter, on social media, on the podcast is, hey, I have a kid or I know a kid and I want them to get into the characters that I love. Where do I start? And I think what you're doing right now is a great starting point. Yeah, Marvel Superhero Adventures is actually a line-wide um, initiative that involves chapter books, uh, animated shorts, a toy line, and then what I'm doing, which um, are five one-shots, where it's a Spidey team-up with a different character. We did Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, who people are all familiar with from the movies, then the one that just came out this past Wednesday is Ms. Marvel, who a lot of people are familiar with, but a lot of kids might not have been. So we also have Lockjaw in there because who doesn't love a giant slobbering dog? I know. And then the next issue, the final, uh, the, the fifth issue is um, an inhuman that not a lot of people know of named Inferno because we're fighting Venom and fire is one of Venom's things. But one of the things about Inferno is he's not really sure about being able to use his powers to his full potential. And so what we do in each issue is make sure that we're giving a lesson, telling a story. In the Ms. Marvel one, we're fighting, they fight the, uh, the, the Serpent, Serpent Society. Society. And Which, I got the chance to introduce a new character. I, I literally talked about this on Marvel's The Polis this week. I was like, I know Jim, and this is making him so happy because not only is he writing a Spidey story, he's writing The Serpent Society, which I'm just having a ball with but also writing a brand new character in this world who lives in New Jersey and yeah. is named Garden Snake. <laughs> Garden Snake is such a good name, too. I'm so happy. And she's so cute. Dario Bruzuela, mm -hmm. uh, who does the art, such a great job. Uh, there wasn't even really, like, character description for her. I said, you know, just go ahead, make this girl. You know, she's new, not just to the Marvel Universe, but, like, she's just moved to... New Jersey. And so this one is all about like who you really are inside. And if you fall into the wrong crowd, what happens? And what happens when, who do you look up to? Who, who are some people that you look up to and how do they affect you? And what better character for Spidey to have teamed up with on that than Ms. Marvel? So it was, it's been a lot of fun doing that. I did a lot, I've done a lot of the junior novelizations for Marvel films. And that's how the editor who was in charge of this knew me and I got a call out of the blue and they were like, do you want to do this? And I mean, I'm like, yeah, because I want kids reading comics too. Yeah. So it's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Also in your time at Marvel, you were able to bridge the gap between comics and soap operas. And I actually, we had a conversation with a wrestler today, Becky Lynch here at Comic-Con and I said to her, I was like, the storytelling in wrestling is very similar to the storytelling in comics yep. in, in some ways, which is also very similar to the storytelling in soap operas. Oh, absolutely. Because you have an ongoing narrative that needs to keep you entertained, keep changing. You need to, you, you have heroes and villains and people and love and loss and death and rebirth and changes. Evil twins. Evil twins. Like, you start looking at them and be like, you just you're you're just changing the paint. People wearing their underwear on the outside. Yeah, all the time. I mean, what it really is at its core for all three forms, honestly, is what Dickens started, which is serialized fiction. So the story has to continue, but you have to pay homage to the past sixty years. You get to stand on the shoulders of these giants, but then also figure out new ways to move the characters forward, to move the story forward without betraying everything and yet still attract new readers. And that was one of the things that we really wanted to set out to do when we crossed Guiding Light with the Avengers. And what was the best is not only did they do it on their side where their one of their characters, Harley, became the Guiding Light on Halloween, when she got an electric shock and suddenly had electricity powers, on our side, I got to write an eight issue, or an eight issue, God, I wish, um, <laughs> an eight page backup story. And it went into a number of books. And at the time, Civil War was happening. And there was an anthology book 
because we had a skip month. It was called Civil War Choosing Sides. And so there were a number of short stories in that. And then the Guiding Light Marvel crossover shows up at the end of it. And people were like, is this part of the event? <laughs> so they wondered which side the Guiding Light was on, Cap or Iron Man's. Uh, Jim, I'm so glad we got to do this. Me too. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun to be back at Marvel. Yeah. Hopefully this is the first of many. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you're here at Comic-Con. You're actually able to see people have some conversations. Because oh, yeah. that's an important point in like being in this industry is oh, yeah. getting FaceTime and networking. It, it, oh, you it's hard, but you have to. There, everybody always asks the question, how did you break into comics? I think the next question that people need to be asking, especially as there are more and more chances to break into comics and breaking into comics in different ways, web comics, print comics, digital comics, digital firsts, all sorts of ways. The question you need to be asking is, how do you stay in comics? Or how do you stay relevant in comics? What's your career path? Because you, know, you can go to school and find out what your career path is if you're in HR or if you're in accounting. But they don't really teach your career path for being a freelancer, a freelance writer for comics. Yeah. Just in answer to that, keep writing. And that can also mean keep writing anything because you never know when someone's going to knock on the door again and be like, hey, Jim, you haven't done a Marvel comic in a couple of years, but we have something right up your alley based on the stuff that you've been doing in prose. And that's that's very valuable and very valid way to stay in comics and also have conversations and also be friends with Ryan Panagos just because. Not necessarily to further your career in comics, but if you want to sit on a couch with a microphone in your lap, be friends with uh, Ryan. It's a good way to do it. On that note, thank you, Jim. I love you, Ryan. I love you, too. Bye. I love you, Marvel fans. All right, thanks, y'all, for listening. Jamie and I both had a blast doing those interviews. Big, huge news this week. Of course, it is the release of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 33. And, and Agent what, M what, is on the cover. I was going to say, there's a big deal about this one. It's it's it's, a, it's one of the very cool mixed media covers. It's ridiculous. It's the best. It has your epically awesome desk here in New York uh-huh. with all your stuff. Yep, all my toys. Yeah, it's great. It's out now. Uh, the issue's awesome. You can hear us talk about it on Marvel's The Pull List, which, if you're wondering, yes, Marvel's The Pull List has its own feed. You can check that out. You can get it on marvel.com and wherever you get your podcast, just search Marvel's Pull List and it'll come up. The art will be recognizable and it'll be awesome. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed to that feed because eventually episodes of Marvel's The Pull List will stop showing up in the This Week in Marvel feed just so we can make sure we're nice and clean and separate. But uh, you got a couple more weeks of that. All right. So things that we're hyped about this week, comma including news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's just more Comic-Con recap because when we did our panel last week, it was before a whole bunch of things that happened. And I got hyped for these things. Marvel's Cloak and Dagger is getting a second season. Yes. Coming spring 2019. I was there for that panel and it was... Nice. Ap- yes, that was a very fun panel. The cast is adorable and delightful and everyone is... That that room was very excited to hear the announcement. Heck so, yeah. Yeah. I got a nice dagger enamel pin oh, at, nice. uh, at the show. I saw those. They're so cool. I literally have no idea how I got it. I don't know who gave it to me, but thank you, mystery person. Maybe you just have that power now. Maybe it just happened. That's the magic of Comic-Con. Speaking of seasons two, we've got season two of The Gifted coming, and they said that they will have Morlocks in them. This makes me super excited because I get to name some of my favorite Morlocks, and fingers crossed, hope that they show up. We got Callisto, Caliban, Sunder, Mask, spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E, Beautiful Dreamer, Leech, Skids, I think Feral and Marrow were Morlocks at one point. Storm led the Morlocks at one point. And there's this heartbreaking Morlock story that was in Uncanny X-Men, like 290s, I want to say, or 280s, somewhere in there, where Mikhail Rasputin, who is a brother of Colossus and Magic, just, it is a heartbreaker. It is the death of numerous Morlocks. Uh, It is... Really good. Read that on Marvel Unlimited, um, but I'm just jazzed for Morlocks. Uh, We've got two 
Eisner Award winners this year for Best Limited Series, Black Panther, World of Wakanda by Roxanne Gay, Ta-Nehisi Coates, and Aletha E. Martinez. So great to see that one. But also, Best New Series went to Black Bolt by Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward. Man, you y'all know I love me some Black Bolt, uh, one of my favorite Marvel comics we published since I've worked here. Last week, we dropped the first of the Marvel Digital Originals, just like, boom. Oh, yes. Drop it, announce it, let it go, and that was Jessica Jones. And then, after our panel, they announced that we're doing Luke Cage, Daughters of the Dragon, and Iron Fist series. Oh, man. Daughters of the Dragon. Yeah. I just want to join their crew. They almost, (laughs) okay, no, they did not at all let me join their crew on the stage, but I'm okay with that. I will eventually win them over, I'm sure. And maybe become a red-headed stepchild of the dragon? Sure. I mean, yeah. that's a thing, Yeah. right? I like that. So check those out. We have news on Marvel.com, but those will be available digital first. And it's a really cool experience. You get double-sized issues. You get a lot of bang for your buck right away. It's a neat program and great creators involved. Speaking of great creators, Chelsea Kane, whose Mockingbird series I loved. Have you read that Mockingbird? I have not, but I'm going to now. You need to read it. It is right up your alley. It is so good. Ten, please. Uh, Thank you. She did a Mockingbird series for us. Now, she is joined by her husband, Mark Mohan, as co-writer and Odd Cook on art for a brand new Vision series exploring the Vision family. We loved the first Vision series. This one I'm very excited for. I think Chelsea is incredible. Um, and Odd is is really, really very cool, unique look to their art. So, yeah, this is going to be great. Looking forward to that one. Oh, X-Men. So, Uncanny X-Men is returning in November. We have no details further than that, but we just know The flagship X-Men book is coming back. I can't wait for more on that. We did announce, as you were talking about colors, X-Men Black, which is like a series of one-shots under this umbrella of X-Men Black, focusing on like the darker characters. Ooh, now you're singing my song. Right? We've got Magneto by Chris Claremont and Dalibor Talajik. Mojo by Scott Ackerman and Nick Bradshaw. Oh, yeah, snap. Yeah. Mystique by Shauna McGuire and Marco Faila. Shauna, she's she's so good. You guys are going to be really excited. She's getting really, really in deep into more Marvel work, so that makes me really excited. And that's more and more X-Men for her, which is even more exciting. Heck yeah. Juggernaut by Robbie Thompson and Sean Crystal. Sean Crystal is one of those artists. He's an artist artist. Like, you talk to artists, and they're like, oh, Sean Crystal. I'm like... He's something special. And he is. He's incredible. And Robbie Thompson, as you'll hear, is one of my favorites. I love him. Emma Frost is the last one, and that is by Leah Williams and Chris Bashalo, who is also, like, someone that just destroys artists. When they look at his work, it just crushes them into small balls of insecurity because Chris, his work is immense. I love it. So that was some of the uh, the things that I saw that got me hyped. There's even more news. You go to marvel.com slash SDCC 2018. You can see all the news. And I think we'll just have more next week as we get back to semi-normalcy. Yeah, we're, we are definitely planning a big editorial offense. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up on .com. Maybe you've seen our new site. Maybe you watched the live streams on our new site. Right on. Uh, For this week, our top books, because I know you guys are still curious, top books for the week were, uh, for me, Mr. and Mrs. X, number one, and X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis, number one. For Jamie, it was Venom, number four. And for Mr. Tucker, you know, Banana Man uh, Marcus, it's Moon Knight, number 197. Uh, So those are our books. You can hear about all of those on Marvel's The Polist. Reminder, again, Got a brand new feed. Subscribe to it, please. I don't want you to miss us talking about the comics in depth. Uh, and I did want to do one quick community thing. We have an email from Jack Humphrey who sent this to us a while back. And he says, congrats on episode 350. In celebration, I'd like to give you guys my favorite book this year so far. And he says, I know this isn't going to be the most unique choice, but for me, it has to be the whole Amazing Spider-Man go down swinging arc, particularly issue number 800. The entire story was so unique for both Peter and Osborne, and Dan Slott truly gave us a Spidey story like no other. And Jack continues saying, if I had to pick a runner-up, it would definitely be Kelly Thompson's Hawkeye book. I had no expectations going into it, but it quickly became one of my all-time favorite Marvel runs. I can't wait to see uh, more Hawkeye later this year. Once again, congratulations on the Milestone episode, and I look forward 
to many more in the future. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Sorry it was a couple weeks late, uh, but I always appreciate it. Now, if you guys have comments, questions, things you want to share with us, use hashtag This Week in Marvel on the Twitter, and you can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. We'll get back into those regularly next week. Uh, I think that's it for this one. I think that is it. Uh, Go get some sleep, Jamie. What? I'm sorry. I was just taking a quick nap. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.